Hi, and welcome to Technotopia, a podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Ralph Clark, CEO of ShotSpotter. Technotopia is brought to you by Typewriter. Typewriter is your on-demand editor, and their amazing team of writers will make your book chapter, blog post, or email shine. Typewriter editors come from places like TechCrunch, Gizmodo, and the New York Times, and they offer low bulk rates for longer work. Check it out at typewriter.plus. That's typewriter.plus. All right. So today we have Ralph Clark, CEO, ShotSpotter. CEO, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you came on... Well, the company was founded 20 years okay. ago. I joined the company about six years that's ago. That's right. That's right. So you, mm-hmm. came, in, you came in later. Um, first off, tell us about ShotSpotter. I'm really excited about this technology. It's some of the coolest technology I've heard of in the... Uh, realm of cities, uh, urban areas, ever. And I think it's massively important. So why don't you describe what you guys are working on? Sure. So ShotSpotter provides an acoustic surveillance technology that, in its most simplest form, detects, locates, and alerts on outdoor gunfire. So when a gun's fired, it creates a very unique acoustic event, and we design sensors that are basically uh, designed to ignore ambient noise and trigger on impulsive noises, basically booms and bangs. Mm-hmm. And when three or more sensors detect a boom or bang, they'll detect it at a slightly different time because each sensor is in a slightly different location. And we're able to take that time in location differential and draw lines, intersecting hyperbolic lines. And where those lines connect is the origin of that particular event. And we do that, we provide this digital alert in 30 to 45 seconds of a trigger being pulled. Okay. So it basically tells a triangulates a gunshot in a in a in an area. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it could be it could be any sort of area. So you guys are you guys are in major cities in the U.S. You're also expanding internationally. Yeah, so we're in about 90 cities. Uh, mostly, uh, most of the cities are in the U.S. Um, New York City is our largest deployment, where we're covering about 60 square miles. We're also deployed in Cape Town, South Africa, and we've had deployments in Panama in two cities in Brazil. And to be optimistic, will there are you looking forward to going out of business? You know, sadly, I think in the U.S. that won't be the case, but I think we are optimistic in terms of significantly reducing gun violence. Where we've been deployed, we've seen reductions of gun violence about 35%. And that isn't just because of the technology by itself, Mm -hmm. but it's really how the technology is used by police departments to provide higher levels of service to underserved communities. In the process, kind of getting communities on board with what police are trying to do, which is create more safe, resilient neighborhoods. So you're actually able to understand, you actually can see the number of gunshots that are happening in a, in a certain city, so you've, you've seen it going down. You know, sadly, I mean, we're, we're probably singular experts in the area of gun violence because we've seen gun violence play out over 20 years in mm-hmm. 90 cities uh, today. And so one of the first things that we noticed that is not a surprise to us but continues, frankly, to be a surprise by some of the early customers that are adopting the technology is the extent to which guns are fired and then go underreported. So mm-hmm. we're seeing underreporting of 80 to 90 percent in some of these uh, neighborhoods. And really what it speaks to is a normalization of gun violence, uh, where guns are fired an awful lot. And every gunfire incident doesn't result in a homicide or a, a gunshot mm-hmm. wound. And so when you put all that stuff together, you really can begin to see that some of these neighborhoods are really uh, overcome with gun violence. And it's just you know, become normal in a way. So what happens after a, after one of these things is triggered? Say say you have you have three of the sensors triggered, the police come. What 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 is expected of a community and what's expected of the sure. Police? Well, I mean, so the idea is first of all, sure. the, uh, the police department will be notified 
within 30 to 45 seconds of that um, uh, gunfire event taking place. We provide a very precise location, essentially a dot on a map, with some metadata description of that event in terms of number of rounds, including a small snippet of the recording of the actual mm -hmm. shooting event. And that's showing up on a, uh, on a laptop or even a, a handheld mobile device, uh, both Android and iOS. Our expectation is, is that now equipped with this type of alerting capability, police can respond to all gun violence. And we say that uh, all gunfire is important. We can't wait to decide to investigate a homicide or GSW because the extent to which guns are fired, we know that very few individuals are driving the gun crime. So the quicker you can investigate all these particular cases, you can more quickly identify who those serial shooters are and intercept them before they end up hurting or killing someone. So we're expecting cops to get out of cops to get the dots, get out of their car. If they're not encountering a perpetrator or aiding a victim, uh, looking for physical forensic evidence in the form of shell casings, interview witnesses, and most importantly, kind of showing a community that they're responding to and care about what's going on with mm -hmm. respect to gun violence. What are community interactions like with these sorts of things? I mean, we could say from a privacy angle, we don't want some kind of robot hanging out on a light pole listening to us all the time. Uh, how do you guys do outreach and how do you how do you talk to the folks about what these things are doing specifically? I mean, so people are very, very uh, positive on it because um, it's not very, it's not broad stop and frisk, mm -hmm. for example. I mean, we're only detecting and lo locating and alerting on uh, significant events when someone fires a gun outdoors. That's a fairly serious uh, issue. Um, I guess the, the best analogy I like to use is where I grew up in Oakland, California, guns fire all the time, people, you know, not calling police, police not responding. Well, I live in a different part of Oakland where it's a little bit more affluent, and it's just a very different paradigm. Mm -hmm. When a gun's fired in the affluent parts of Oakland, there's no question sure, that sure. police are going to show up. Mm -hmm. And they're very concerned about the safety and well-being of the residents there. Well, how is it that you can have one different response in one community and a very different response in a, in a different community just because of affluence? That, to me, is wrong. So we're, we're providing, I think, hopefully, as a tool that allows a police department to respond to these underserved communities if and when a gun's fired the exact same way they should respond anywhere, right, which is, you know, very quickly, very precisely, with a great deal of concern to try to identify who the shooter is and stop that shooter before they hurt mm -hmm. or kill someone. So by and large, the, the response is positive. Um, you know, I, I'd love to share a story with you because I think it really kind of speaks to the issue of gun violence. I don't think most people quite understand. And I was talking to a police officer in Oakland, in fact, asking him to describe the very worst day we had on the job. And I was expecting, I almost tuned out because I knew he was going to tell me the story when four police officers were killed in Oakland. I don't know if you remember that event or not, but it was a very big deal in mm -hmm. Oakland to have uh, four Oakland police officers killed in one single day. But the event that he shared with me that was the most, um, 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 I guess, frightful in his, in his mind was showing up to a scene of a shooting where a three-year-old little girl had been grazed by a bullet. Fortunately, it wasn't a serious accident at all. But um, she was obviously very distraught, uh, crying, and there was EMT there dealing with the situation. About two minutes after the event, the young mother comes running up screaming uh, uh, at the little girl, telling the little girl to suck it up and stop crying like a little blank because I raised you to be a soldier. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine that, that this mother felt like she had to raise her little girl as a soldier and didn't just multiply that out, the number of mothers that are raising young girls and young boys to be soldiers, and this is their experience mm -hmm. 
over time. So what is it that we think the outcome of that is as a society? And I think when people get their arms around the scale of this issue and move it beyond homicides and GSWs to really understand how you know, these very unsafe uh, communities where gun violence becomes normalized and we're raising children to be soldiers, we're getting exactly what we deserve. Children being raised as soldiers, which mm -hmm. means, you know, high school dropout rates, you know, teenage pregnancy, drug use, alcohol abuse, and frankly, more violence, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that we're trying to disrupt. Yeah, that's frightening. I mean, that, that's literally right across the, across the bay from, from San Francisco. I mean, yeah, it is. In fact, we're deployed in San Francisco, too. And again, the thing is, uh, in places like San Francisco or even Seattle, for example, you might not tend to associate gun violence with a uh, with pretty places, right? Mm -hmm. Cape Town, South Africa is another example of that. Well, you know, there's the affluent part of Cape Town, there's the affluent part of San Francisco, there's the affluent part of Oakland even, even though Oakland doesn't get that positive of a, of a rap, I guess. But, you know, you have pockets of these communities that are carved out in these uh, bigger cities that are really struggling with the issue of gun violence. I mean, they're struggling with other things too, but to me, kind of table stakes is having a safe neighborhood where you don't have to live in fear, and frankly, you don't have to raise children mm -hmm. to be soldiers. In San Francisco, dealing with that issue, uh, Seattle, Washington is dealing with that issue, Boston's dealing with that issue. There's a very, San Diego is another example um, of a city that by and large is uh, very safe for most people, but for some other folks, it's not safe, and we need to make it safer. Are we moving towards <coughs> the world looking more generally like Palo Alto, or the world looking more generally like Oakland? I mean, so I'm an optimist, um, sure. and I, I want to believe that the world is moving uh, more toward um, a, uh, a um, place I wouldn't say Palo Alto necessarily. Oh, whatever, <laughs> I mean, I actually like Oakland because I think, you know, very, you well, know, that, vibrant. Yeah, yeah I, very, was, I was there a couple of weeks ago. It's beautiful. It's really, it's very Yeah, it's, it's, it's diverse. I mean, exactly. I like, you know, so Palo Alto maybe not so diverse. But I mean, Oakland's a very diverse city. You know, it's kind of hip. It's up and coming a little bit. Um, uh, there's a large part of Oakland that is, I think some people might say, regentrified. Uh, Brooklyn mm -hmm. is probably another exactly, good example exactly. of that. But it's, it's the, these areas that, you know, have, have had kind of challenging issues in the past, and now it's kind of moving to... Mm -hmm. Um, to become more viable and more safe and more, you know, more vibrant. And to the extent that it can become those things and be diverse, it doesn't need to become those mm -hmm. things by kind of running out the, um, the historical population that lives there. That, that's yeah. not the answer from yeah, my point of view. Exactly. But I think that these areas where, you know, we're all kind of getting along and uh, doing well and having a uh, safe, resilient place to live and work, I believe that's the mm -hmm. future. Yeah, I think one of the one of the most boring things that you can take away from these conversations is that the future is going to be cafes and croissants. Basically, you're going to have like a nice, regular smearing of of nice places to work, nice places to live, nice places to eat, almost everywhere. And that's that's what a lot of the folks that I've talked to, you have seen uh, some bad places. But I'm, the question is, does that does that hold true? Do you see a certain uh, this generation coming in? And saying, I don't want to live in a place that where I have to raise my child as a soldier. I want to live in a place where I can take my child down to go to the play place, and I can have a coffee while we wait. A absolutely, I mm -hmm. think when you see gunfire reductions of you know kind of 35, 50 percent, 75 percent, these these areas that have been challenged before become much more vibrant and better. And the good news for us is that um, it's a Pareto optimum issue, Pareto uh, law of you know, 10% of the people causing 80% of the mm -hmm. problem. So, for example, in Oakland, California, where you might see something on the order of 3,000 gunshot incidents, right? 
That's not 3,000 individuals firing their gun one time. Right. It's about 20 people that's disproportionately responsible for about 70% of that gun crime. So if you can intercept even a few number of those 20 people, you can see significant reductions in gun mm -hmm. violence. And when you, when you can take them out of the mix and uh, l let people feel safer and more collaborative with law enforcement and police, you get a safer neighborhood, mm -hmm. right? And the thing I see is when you start seeing um, uh, young mothers uh, walk down the street with their uh, with a stroller and walking their dog or whatever, and it's dusk in Oakland. Mm -hmm. That's a new that's a new thing, right? Okay. And you're seeing that in some parts yeah, of Oakland. Yeah. I mean, not across the entire city, but you know, we're kind of taking it a block at a time. Uh, Why I say we we, you know, shot spotter police department in these communities where we're taking these communities back, and we're saying you know, gun violence is an exception, not a rule. That, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the fundamental point I guess I would make out of all of our discussion is to uh, denormalize gun violence. And the only way you can do that is step up to it when it happens and step up quickly and aggressively. And when the community sees police departments do that, then they become a lot more involved. And oftentimes they know who these serial trigger pullers are. And when they begin to see the adequate response from police departments, that's kind of when they can lean in a little bit and help identify those individuals or create environments where it's less, less safe for those individuals to fire mm -hmm. their guns. That's really what we're trying to be about. Okay. What's next for this technology? What's the next sensor? Can, can you attach it to a drone and have it fly out and, and watch for people, or is that a little too much? Not my interest, no. I think uh, for us, we're, uh, we're doing some work in the security space, so we've perfected the technology to uh, work indoors, so there's an indoor gunshot detection system. That's a completely different uh, use case. So. Mm -hmm. School, that's a, yeah, yeah, more school campuses and the like. That's really dealing with a situation where you don't have ongoing gun violence and you're trying to reduce it 35, 40%. That's more of an active shooter situation. Mm -hmm. It could be the case that you know, you'll never ever have an incident, but it's more from a, um, an insurance policy risk mitigation point of view. So we're doing some work in that area. Um, we also have a small proof of concept deployment in Kruger National Park to uh, help deal with the rhino poaching oh, issue, okay, to wow. prove that we can kind of operate in a harsh environment like that. And our founder, Dr. Bob Schoen, who uh, invented the technology and founded the company 20 years ago, he's uh, adapted the uh, technology to be able to work in the water to uh, help address glass fishing, oh, wow. which has happened a lot on the um, uh, mm -hmm. southeastern uh, Asia in uh, damaging the coral reef. And we're really excited about the impact we can have there. I guess blast fishing is a very significant issue. Mm -hmm. Not so much for the current fish, but kind of destroying sure. the coral reef, which then you know, makes it inhabitable for fish and then you know, uh, potentially disrupt the food, protein and food supply for a billion people in Asia. So yeah. Bob is, Dr. Bob is pretty excited about that and we're excited to support him in yeah, that work. So where, where can people go to learn more about Shot Spotter? Yeah, so please visit us at our website. That's uh, www.shotspotter.com. And if somebody wants to uh, reach out to talk, to have some come and talk about the technology at their, I don't know, their, their neighborhood organization or something like that, do you guys have something like that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, just reach out. I think we have an info at shotspotter.com. Just send us an email. We're always happy to engage in a discussion and dialogue with anybody who's interested about reducing gun violence. All right, perfect. Thanks, great, great. Thanks Thank you very much. Thank Appreciate you. it. Thanks. Okay. You get what you wanted? Perfect. Is that okay? That's, great. That's excellent.